Hi guys, welcome back to Tell Me About It. I'm Jade Iovine, and each week I get to sit down with an incredible woman to peel back the curtain of perfection and get very real about our mistakes, rejections, losses, mental health crises, heartbreaks, friendship breakups, and everything in between. Together we leave our highlight reels at the door and only talk about the imperfections of our very messy lives. So if you know me, you know that I'm a Bravo super fan freak, and today's episode was truly my Super Bowl. I've been a diehard fan of Vanderpump Rules since the very first episode in 2013, so getting to interview Lala Kent was a dream come true. Lala Kent is an actress, singer, and TV personality, born and raised in Salt Lake City, Utah. Lala decided to make her way to Los Angeles at the age of 23, where she landed a hostessing job at Lisa Vanderpump's restaurant, Sir, and was featured on Vanderpump Rules on Bravo. Her song, Boy, ranked number one on the iTunes EDM charts, and her beauty line, tagged Give Them Lala Beauty, became one of the highest-earning privately-owned cosmetic companies, expanding into skincare, baby care, and more. And let's not forget, the next season of Vanderpump Rules is currently in production and comes out a week from today. I'm so excited. Tell me if you're watching, because I will definitely be watching. Lala opened up to me about her sobriety, the moment she decided to take her life back and give up alcohol for good. We talked about grief, losing her father, what motherhood's been like, therapy, and how she's changed since she first started at Sur. Something I definitely didn't anticipate was opening up to each other about our abortions. We talked about what people misunderstand about that decision and how it had a lasting effect on our lives and psyches. As always, I hope you feel validated and seen by something said in this episode. And more than that, I hope it gives you the language, empathy, and comfort in your own struggle. Here is Lala Kent. Hi, Lala. Hi, Gorge. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so excited to be with you. You have to understand this is like my Super Bowl. Like, I have been training for this for the past, I mean, Vanderpump Rules came on in 2013, I think. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I can't believe it's been that long. I know. Isn't that nuts? It feels like a lifetime ago. Oh, my God. So, first of all, congratulations on that gorgeous baby of yours. Thank you so much. She's pretty damn perfect, isn't she? I'm biased. Yeah. (laughs) Objectively, she is. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for saying that because I look at her and I'm like, you're the most gorgeous thing I've ever seen. Like, obviously, I'm your mom, so I think that. Yeah, no, she's pretty damn perfect. Thank you. She's so cute. And happy birthday. 31. I can't even believe it. I feel like just yesterday I was in downtown Salt Lake on my 21st birthday, passed out on the sidewalk with the cops being like, you got to go, girl. And I'm like, I just heard 21. They're like, cool, (laughs) get out. Yeah. No, it's like the that decade I feel like is like the longest decade of your life. It is, but I'm really like digging the 30s. I know. It's like, it sounds like Nirvana to me and I'm probably like over fantasizing it, but just like I'm at 27. So it just sounds like nice because I'm finally reaching that point where I'm starting to like like myself and I'm like getting out of my 20s in that way but 30s sounds heavenly it really is I feel like after 25 is when you start like really sinking into things that you used to be insecure about you're suddenly like I'm okay with this and you start just realizing like you're a pretty awesome human being just like exactly the way you are so yeah. I mean, enjoy 27. <laughs> I mean, I'm if you gave me best. a choice, I'd go back. <laughs> <laughs> Would you really? Well, I mean, uh, yes, yeah, it just is fun to be in your 20s. Yeah. Well, let's go back right now. So let's do it. In honor of your birthday, let's take a little trip down memory lane. How old were you when you started Vanderpump Rules? 
Can you tell me a little bit about that girl? Yeah, I was 23 mm-hmm. when I first started. And I was just like, a, I was a very insecure. Eva, you probably wouldn't know that. Like watching me on the show, it was one of those things where I like faked my confidence mm-hmm. until one day I woke up and I was like, wow, I actually am like a confident human being now. But in Utah, I just felt like it was my safe zone. Mm-hmm. You know, I had grown up there. I knew yeah. people there. So I didn't realize how insecure I was until I moved to LA. And I was just like this small fish in a giant pond trying to make something happen for myself. And then I end up on a reality TV show with very strong personalities. And it's I'll like, if, yeah. And if you're not a confident person, like they will eat you for lunch. Totally. Did you move to be on the show? No, I moved out to be an actress. I've been acting since I was 12, and I grew up in the arts, theater, choir. I did all my school plays and musicals. Oh, amazing. So when I was offered Vanderpump, I was like, originally I was like, this is going to put me in an area that I don't want to be. Mm. But then it was like, but what do I have to lose? And I had noticed that things in in LA had changed. It was all about like your following on social media, which I was anti-social media. I was like, I don't need it. People don't need to know where I am. I still have a tough time with it. I'm not great at it. (laughs) Me too. It's because we have anxiety. That's why. It's so hard. I don't like it. It's so hard. I post something. I'm like, the story is my safe zone. If I put it on my main page. Right? That's like everyone's (laughs) safe zone. No, if I post on my grid, I throw my phone across the room when I'm done. (laughs) I'm like, like, it's panicked. Panic. But I also feel like it's my sense of humor. Like I'm kind of sarcastic and I feel like it doesn't translate on Instagram. I know. The amount of times where I've thought my caption is brilliant and people in the comment <laughs> section are like, I don't get it. I'm like, oh, now explaining it. It's not as funny as I, I thought it was. Yeah. So that's kind of what my 20s were like, kind of just like a shit show. I used alcohol to kind of like get me through a lot of situations. I have social anxiety. So mm-hmm. that kind of alcohol acted as my buffer for that. And I just felt like I was more fun when I was under the influence. Mm. And that's my twenties in a nutshell, like just like living life to the fullest and faking it until I hopefully made it one day. Yeah. Something I want to talk to you about is anxiety because like it was part of your character from the jump. Yeah. Right. And I think like back then it wasn't as normalized as it is now. There wasn't as much representation. And I was watching some episodes back and I was like, wow, you weren't really met with a lot of understanding. No. And I thought that was so strange because I had grown up in a place that was more understanding in a place where, you know, I... I hung out with my parents on the weekends. Like it was just, I was in this bubble of being able to be me without judgment. Yeah. And I struggled with anxiety when I lived in Utah, but it was like really on the forefront of my everyday life when I moved to LA. When did it start? Like, when did you really start to notice it in your life? Like, I would say after like high school, I definitely had anxiety. Yeah. I, even junior high, I remember just like being very anxious to start something new. When I signed up for an acting class, it was like, it would be a Monday and my acting class would be on a Friday and it would be on everything I thought yes. about until it was over. So I just internalized a lot and I didn't talk about my feelings, because I felt like if you spoke them, then you were like putting them into the atmosphere and it would manifest itself. Totally. You're like, if they don't say it out loud, it doesn't exist. Right. Yeah. And then 
when I discovered alcohol, Mm -hmm. it was like, wow, this makes all of my anxiety go away. Like I'm not thinking about anything and I'm ready to like take on the world. Little did I know that was making my anxiety a hundred times worse. It was making my depression so much worse. So when I was on Vanderpump and you know, you're, you're showing your real life, the good, the bad, the ugly. And when you're in your darkest moments, that's when they want to film you the most. Exactly. And it was strange to me, you know, Yeah. I almost felt like there was a piece of me that was being taken, you know, things that were supposed to be sacred were suddenly out for people to judge. Yes. In your most formative years. Of course. While you're making all your mistakes. Oh my gosh, beyond. It's like, I I struggled. It wasn't until later on that I found the balance of this is real life and it's, it's on TV, but I have to be able to go home and like be who I, who I really am off camera. And that's a person who's in a safe zone. Cameras aren't on. So even though I'm trying to separate reality from reality, that was the best way I knew how to do things so I could function throughout the day. Right. Did you feel like this insane pressure to perform whenever there were cameras around? Like, did you feel like that was part of the addiction to alcohol? I think my my addiction was something that was manifesting itself from the second that I picked up a drink. I don't want to place blame on any one situation. It's just the way your brain's wired. It was just the way my brain was wired. And then, you know, as you get older, things happen. You know, I I was in a relationship that I was having to hide and I'm not great at hiding. I like to discuss. I want to be an open book. And so that was a trigger for me where I turned to alcohol. Then the passing of my dad is what really sent my alcoholism into full effect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, reality TV was a blessing and a curse for me because even though I was felt like people were taking things from me that were sacred... I also felt like every time the camera was on, I was, you know, with, with people who I either didn't like or did like, Mm -hmm. it was almost like therapy. Yeah. You know, and it acted as like a a mirror to see all of my flaws or things, my strong points. And even though I've been criticized for a lot of my behavior, the flip side is that I've also had a lot of people reach out and say that they relate to me and that, you know, there's, there's no one way to handle situations. And if that's the only thing I care about, if I have one person that's like, wow, I I'm enraged at the fact that my parent just died and I'm breaking things. It's like, that's okay. We don't, no one knows how to deal with death. Right. You know, I think you've had such a relatable trajectory, probably like the most so. And even like everything that you've had to deal with in your 20s, there's been tragedy. But it's like it is so relatable and refreshing to see that because like you're not supposed to be the same person you were at 21 or 25. You're really not. But I think that's something that I was going to ask you is reality TV forces you to be or to revisit your past in a way that nothing else really does. So you felt like you were exactly the same person on camera as you were off. Yes, yeah. I, yeah. There, there are moments where I feel like, no, I'm different off camera. And then I'll, I'll have an out of body experience yes. listening to myself, talk to, you know, my friends that I've known since childhood. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh no, we're, we're the same person. Yes. Yes. No, that's... Okay. I don't want to take a break, but we have to, we'll be right back. What are the biggest differences between who you were when you first started Vanderpump and now? 
Oh, well, when I first started Vanderpump, I was trying to figure my life out and it was just like one big party and I was enjoying every moment that I got to just be alive. And I wasn't thinking about consequences and repercussions of my actions. And as I get older and, you know, it's really hard because people try to hold you to the same person you were right. last year, you know, and, and for me, it's like, I reserve the right to evolve as a person and yes, and we all should. So now, even though I look back on those things and there's cringeworthy moments, like they're my fondest memories, even though I was, I don't remember the parts of me being insecure. I remember mm. the fun stuff. Right. So now I feel like I'm still I, the crazies in my DNA. Like I'm mm -hmm. always going to be a pop off. I'm always going to be someone who kind of speaks her mind. And if, if you don't like what I'm saying, like not my issue, your issue. <laughs> and, you know, I, I have to be a different person because number one, I am sober now. So mm -hmm. I, the things That's that- That's a fundamental difference. Obviously things that come out of my mouth are definitely going to sound differently now right. that I'm not intoxicated. And- I'm also having to consider the fact that I have a daughter where my, my actions are now going to affect her as well. Mm -hmm. I tried to remember that filming this season, mm -hmm. you know, and even though I had my moments of blowing up and exploding, she was always in my mind. Yeah. I was going to say that this filming this season for many reasons must've been so different doing it sober, doing it. I mean, now having a daughter doing it without some of your best friends, like on the show anymore. Yeah. And people always ask like, was it strange when you went back to filming without your friends? And of course it was very weird. We, we lost great cast members, but we lost my best friends. Right. You know? So it was like, it was like being a part of a reality TV show that I, I felt like even though they were not on the show anymore, we still have a lot to talk about. Our lives are still moving. And I'm so grateful that they decided to pick up cameras again because yeah. this season was like, I felt like we got back to the roots last season. We kind of got, it got muddy. It was like, who are these new people? Yeah, why do, it's you know, why so do we care true. about them and their yes. love interests? I don't get it. Yes. Now we're back at it. You know, we're duking out real issues. Yes. Okay, so I really want to talk to you about sobriety because I just think you are a beacon I'm of light. I'm drinking a Heineken Zero. <laughs> wow. Have you tried these? No. No alcohol, and it tastes just like a Heineken. It may trigger some people. It doesn't trigger me. Wow. But it's like such. It's like my fun little drink. Oh, my God. <laughs> genius. That's like Luann with her fake rosé. Love a good fosé. You know? Amazing. Yes. Okay, so what was that sliding door moment when you were when you first realized, oh shit, I gotta get my shit together, or like I, I've got to make a big change? There were so many moments that I had tried to get control over my drinking. It really? was yeah, many times. There was a time, you know, five years ago that I went to an AA meeting, and I would go weekly, and. I remember these women trying so hard to not pick up any sort of substance. And keep in mind, I've never done a drug in my life. I, I right. liked to smoke weed, wasn't crazy about it. Alcohol was my thing. And I just had this one moment sitting in this room five years ago. And I was like, I'm never stepping foot into another one of these meetings because I'm making a mockery of the program. I'm going home and I'm smoking weed. Even though I'm not drinking, these women 
worked their asses off to be sober people. So I knew that that was never an option until I was ready to like be a sober person. Okay. So this was like years before you finally got sober or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I would say it was about five years ago. And then there were times where I'd say tonight, I'm not drinking. I'm only going to drink on the weekends. I'm only going to have beer or wine. Just to prove that you had control. Right. And it was just the most difficult thing in the world. And then Randall and I were not getting along great. Mm -hmm. So we started going to therapy and he had said that, you know, she, she only acts this way when she's drinking and I was drinking every day. (laughs) So the, the therapist had recommended like, you can only drink on the weekends and you have a, a two drink maximum, okay. whatever that may be. That obviously didn't work out either. At that point in time, I had said, I just like drinking. When I get pregnant one day, I'll give it up. You know, uh-huh. as I get older, I'm going to grow out of this. Like whatever, I'm living my life. But those are thoughts that a lot of people think in their 20s, particularly. Of course. And yeah. some people are lucky enough to be a normie and they do totally, grow out of it. Totally, you know? totally, totally. But those of us that have addiction in our DNA, it's a little more complicated. It's very complicated. It's much more deep than that. It sounds so simple, but addiction Mm -hmm. is is a disease. And it's something that I I have a lot of compassion for the people on the other end who have to deal with the alcoholic. Yes, absolutely. There, this was like years of Randall and I being together. You know, I've been sober for over two and a half years now. Yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. turn, I'll turn three next month. Okay. And congratulations. Thank you so much. So almost three years ago is when things changed for me and we were going on a trip to the happiest place on earth, Disney world. We were taking 26 people. Yes. Oh, I remember this story. I want you to explain yeah. this to me. Okay. So we were leaving on a Saturday and Randall and I went to another therapy session on that, the Friday before I left. Okay. And I'm talking to this woman and she's asking me. And at this point I had made the decision. I just like drinking. It's fun. I'll grow out of it. Mm -hmm. And Randall and I were in this therapy session together and she was asking me all the questions that you asked to try and figure out what the issue is. And she asked me if I, I was spending money a lot where I'd go through, you know, she, she was trying to see like, is she bipolar? Is she suffering from depression? Is her anxiety something that needs to be looked at deeper? You know, all the things that a, a doctor does. And as we're talking to her, she asks Randall to leave the room. And she said, you know, I, I really just want you to take this number down. And I was like, who is this person? She said, this is a case manager and she works with people with substance abuse. I said, I, are, are you asking me to be sober? Because mm-hmm. if you're asking me to be sober, that's not happening. Right. And she said, I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm asking you to take this number in case you ever need it. Okay. Whatever. Put it in my phone. I leave for Disney World the next day. I am slammed the entire time that I am there. I, I can't, I can't face chug fast enough and get another cocktail into my hand fast enough. I am fixated on. Do they have cocktails at Disney? Oh, I found them. Okay. I found them, girl. Trust <laughs> okay. me. Yes. And there, we finally, you know. And I don't know if you've ever been in this fog. Anyone who's gotten drunk knows the fog. Right? Yes. Yes. 
but mine was daily. It was like the voice was raspy. The, the eyes were bloodshot, swollen. Everything was just kind of slow motion. Right. And like your adrenals are like shot and shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's the last day we're headed to get on the airplane. We hit the gift shop. My brother, who's total normie, is like, I'm going to get a bottle of Hennessy for the plane. And I was fixated on this bottle of Hennessy. Like I could not stop staring at his backpack. When do we get to the plane so that I can have the bottle? Mm-hmm. Get on the plane. I'm face chugging straight out of the bottle. I'm letting the kids draw on my legs. I'm letting them put makeup on my face. We land. I am now in my drunken stupor of slipping into, you can't get any drunker. Now we're hitting depression. Right. I go to my apartment. I'm in the bathtub scrubbing my legs drunkenly just to get rid of anything because I know the next morning I don't want to remember. Right. And the next morning I wake up. My family had already left to go back to Utah. And I kid you not, Jade, I, I woke up. And the first thing was, was I'm never living this way another second in my life. Wow. Like today is the day. Sorry. Every time I talk oh about God. my sobriety. No, totally understand. I felt this elephant lift off of my chest. Yeah. And for the first time in many years, I saw like just the light at the end of the tunnel. I was like, I'm there. Yeah. I reached it. And I called Rand and I said, I need to talk to you immediately. I go to his office and I said, I'm letting you know that I'm identifying as an alcoholic and I'm reaching out and getting help today. I called the phone number that the therapist had given me the Friday before. And that woman, her name's Ashley. She still to this day, she's an angel for me. She changed my whole life. Wow. And I, I, there's this thing that they talk about in the program I'm in, AA, mm-hmm. and it's the guilt that you start feeling and you start wondering, you hear all of these stories about people who have gotten DUIs or what their mm-hmm. rock bottom looked like. And right. I was making horrific decisions while drinking. Right. And I kept thinking, what, what did I do right for me to never have my rock bottom look mm-hmm. the way that it should look? Totally. And I hate when people say someone was looking out for you. No, people that act the way that I was acting, no one's looking out for them. You, you got lucky and that's it. And that's it. No one was looking out for you. I got off the elevator before it hit the bottom floor. My rock bottom looks like a very pretty picture. Yeah. And yeah. that was it. I never touched alcohol again. Wow. When you woke up that morning for the first time, the idea of not having alcohol didn't feel constrictive. Instead, it felt liberating. Oh my gosh, I I got up, I walked into my kitchen, I dumped every single bottle of alcohol down the sink, I threw it away. I knew that in that moment, there was nothing in the entire world. I was a chick on a mission to never pick up a drink again. I would have given my right, left, all my legs, all my legs, my both legs, <laughs> to never pick up a drink again. Like, that's yeah. how badly I wanted sobriety. I was screaming for it. Right, right. I didn't want to depend on this anymore. Wow. So, I mean, what a hill to climb from that decision 
to where you are now, you know? How many years ago? So that was three years ago, you said, right? Almost three years ago, yeah. Wow. We're a month shy of three years. Okay, so that takes us back to like 2018-ish, right? Yeah. So since then, life outside of just your life, the world has been challenging, you know? Like what have you found most triggering for you? Like, has it been COVID? Was that really hard? I know for a lot of addicts, that time was really hard. Was it becoming a mom and dealing with that kind of anxiety? Was it really the dealing with grief? What have you found hardest about sobriety? You want to know what's so crazy, Jade, is that my life got more simple when I got yeah. sober. Yeah. My anxiety, I, and I don't recommend anyone go off their medication if they're struggling with anxiety or depression. I personally no longer need my antidepressant or my wow. anti-anxiety medication. Wow. I believe that. Yeah. You know? I, I, I have moments of anxiety, but I have the tools now to work myself through them. Again, this is me personally. I don't want anyone to... Right. I, I, I spoke to my doctor. I spoke to my sponsor. I spoke to Ashley, who, who is... I call her my sober coach. Mm-hmm. And that's what I thought was best for me. And yeah. here we are, you know, almost three years later. And I just feel like I worked through things. I was finally able to mourn the death of my dad mm-hmm. in a healthy way and remember him and know that, you know, he's looking down on me being like, this is, this is the daughter that I right. know. Right. Because for obvious reasons, it takes out a lot of shame. You know, you don't have to think like you can have the normal dose of shame of like, what did I say? Like, what, you know, how did I handle right. that social situation? But it's like, also you can trust yourself. You build this trust and like, you know who you are so much more profoundly, I would imagine, when you take all of that messiness away. And by the way, it yeah. might not exist in that same way for everyone. You know, it might no. not be as clouding, but. No, Every, everyone's story is completely different. And that, like, after I got sober, it was probably on my 60 days yeah. that I finally was able to look in the mirror and be like, I know exactly who I am again. This, I recognize this face. I remember what I stand for and what I believe in. Yes. For a long time, I, I wasn't able to remember those things. Right. And it can change the way you look, like physically. Oh, I looked like a different human. Yeah. I, I remember on my, my 60 days, this woman who had seen me, I was on day two of sobriety in a meeting, but she had seen me from the beginning pretty much of my journey and she said, you look so great. Wow. Like, I, I really want you to keep coming back. And I just like, just felt like a different human. I looked like a person again. Like wow. I, I used to be vacant. Right. Right. So consumed with the next drink, the next thing. Mm-hmm. Wow. So then filming Vanderpump Rules, which is like made of alcohol. How yeah. did that work? Were you like, okay, I got to stop filming or like, were you just like, no, this is going to be part of my identity. Welcome. I was really nervous to start filming again because I didn't think that I would be interesting mm-hmm. anymore. That's a huge concern of a lot yeah. of addicts. Mm-hmm. Yes. That was my biggest concern. But then when we did start filming, I almost felt empowered by it, mm-hmm. you know, because before we would film and I, I wouldn't know what was going to come out of my mouth or how I was going to react to things. And when we would finish filming, I would stay at the bar and continue drinking. Right. And this first season of me being sober, it was like, 
I enjoyed myself because I was listening. I felt on my game. I felt like we were, it was a productive conversation every time, but then, you know, I end up, everyone else is drunk. (laughs) Everyone else is drunk, but then that's how I knew that crazy was in my DNA because my first season sober, I'm screaming at Raquel talking about (laughs) being a fighting dog, you know? (laughs) That's why we love you. It really is. I was like, okay, we need to go deeper than just the alcohol. Something (laughs) else is deep down. (laughs) More therapy is required. (laughs) And we all make that discovery. Okay, I want to talk about Randall. So when you first started dating Randall, I mean, how long have you guys been together now? It'll be six years in February. Wow. So the wedding's on the back burner for now. The wedding is on the back burner. We've been let down so many times where we get so excited that it's going to happen. and then I know, it's not worth it. It's not worth it right now. And, you know, we have we have a baby, which is, like, way more binding than a, a piece of paper, I think. A hundred percent. Okay, so I want to know just how has your guys' relationship changed the most? Obviously, you have a baby now. But just right. between the two of you, because you've become an adult, basically. You know what I mean? Like, you've really come into your own, and you've grown so much over the past six years, and your life has changed so much. How has your relationship changed? What are, like, the fundamental ways? I mean, I think at the beginning, it was, like, very... Not saying it's not fun now, but at the beginning, you're in a honeymoon phase where you shit has never hit the fan before, and real-life issues haven't come into play, and you're, like having cocktails in Miami and you're just like living your best life. I think as we, we continue this life together, he's evolving and I'm evolving and, and we know that we want to be together, but mm-hmm. I think sometimes people lose sight when, when they're evolving that you have to do it together in a partnership. Yeah. So the, our biggest thing is how do we continue to do that? Especially mm-hmm. in the world we're in. I mean, Hollywood is no joke. There's temptation everywhere. There's, it just, it doesn't feel like real life. So for us, it's, it's maintaining being the best of friends Mm -hmm. because the sex will always fade. Mm -hmm. You know, we used to be like little jackrabbits. Now it's like (laughs) scheduling it. And then we decide Hulu sounds more fun tonight, you know? So if you have that connection as your best friend, you always want to be around your best friend. 100%. So that's really our our goal is to to keep the intimacy and being best friends all in the same pod at all times. Yes. And sometimes we do have to seek help to keep us on the same page. You know, we're we're in that day and age where there's just a there's a lot happening all the time. Yes. And so much of your life is public facing, you know, yeah. and there's, you know, they, I feel like a lot of people feel entitled to having an opinion. Of course. Have you gotten more or less susceptible to public opinion as time has gone on? You know, I don't really, I of course have my moments, but for the most part, I'm pretty good at being like, this person has no clue about my life. You know, like, I don't care. Yes. Because everyone wants to, social media has made it so that everyone can have an opinion and everyone's opinion matters, which is great. But if your opinion doesn't add anything to my life or isn't worth <laughs> anything, then I got to put it in the trash. I need a dose of that. I need a healthy dose of that every morning of just yeah. not caring, you know, because it's like we, we all God. do. It's easy to get caught up in, I know. in pe- what people say. Totally. You know? yes. Susie from Wisconsin really wants to know. <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> how you met and then wants to tell you how much you suck. Yep. A hundred percent. And then if you confront her, she'll be like, oh my God, I love you. You know, I it's didn't like, realize it's so... you were a real person. Right. Of course. <laughs> okay. So I want to talk to you about becoming a stepmother in your 20s. What was that experience like? I kind of just fell into it. I didn't Did you? think... Yeah, it just happened so quickly that I was... Because being a stepmom is not easy at all. No, you're always at the bottom of the totem pole. People always want to remind you those aren't your kids. And you're like, uh, they're not? Like, yeah. no shit. <laughs> right. You know, I try... I definitely put them in check when they need to be put in check. But for the most part, I try to just create a safe place for them where it's like, I'm a friend. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You have a mom to to handle all that. You have a dad to handle all yes. that. Like, I'm just the one that if you want to talk about things that are a little uncomfortable, like, you can come to me. A hundred percent. And I I think maybe if I, if I would have thought, like, you're a stepmom, I would have panicked. Mm-hmm. I didn't really think about it. Yeah. You kind of fell into it, as you said. You didn't. Yeah. If you'd like read the books, if you, you know, like freaked yourself out. No, that's that's the right way to do it. And it's probably evolved so much since you got sober. Right. Oh, yeah. I'm so grateful for the the time that I got sober because they were so young that I don't think I know that they didn't realize. Right. You know, because totally they only talk about the fact and and I'm very open with them. There are moments where they're like. Can can you do this? And I say, Lala has her meeting for so that I I don't drink alcohol, and and they understand like wow what I I just feel, and I could be completely overstepping my boundaries, but I feel like when children are curious about something, you ha- that's when you have to be honest with them, right? They say if like if they're old enough to ask about it, they're no- old enough to know the answer. Of course, or they're gonna go elsewhere to find the answer, and I would totally. rather them get the answer at home. Totally. So something that I love, I wanted to bring this up when we talked about Ocean, because we will talk about that little angel. So I know you've said in response to your book, I know that she'll look in there and once she reads it, she's going to feel even safer because I've been through some stuff and I can be understanding and she's always going to be safe with me. There's no judgment here. I mean, I've done some crazy shit. You can read about it. (laughs) I love that so much because that's the way that my mom raised me, kind of like I've done all this crazy shit and I'm going to tell you about it before you have to go through it yourself. But I want to talk to you about that in relation to your abortion. I think the more stuff like that you've been through as a mom that you can give your kids as a gift, it's, it really is just that. It's such a gift. It's so yeah. liberating to know my mom has done crazy shit, been through crazy shit. It just creates such a safety net. I think so, too. That's Yeah, I, I grew up with a mom who was very open with me. Me, too. So I think that's... I think that's the best way to do it because it takes away the curiosity. And I was having talks about sex at a young age because I asked questions and then Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't need to do that. That sounds scary. (laughs) Yes. No, like my mom was in Playboy and I was like, okay, that's cool for you. You know, like, I don't, you know, move on. Move on. And, you know, obviously I don't want Ocean reading my book when she's 13 in her formative years, but- I wouldn't mind if she picked up my book one day and read the things that I did and have done in my life. Yeah. And I felt 
you know, with, with the chapter about my abortion, I ping ponged back and forth. Like I would wake up in cold sweats, Jade being like, what am I doing? Why am I sharing this? Because I know I live in California. I, I think that everyone's viewpoint is the same until you look at what just happened in Texas and you're like, oh shit. Yep. You know? And I remember my publisher saying like, I don't know that you're going to get the response on this chapter that you think you're going to get. And what response was that? Well, I was hoping to open up the conversation and open up understanding. And, you know, I think abortions are much more common than, than we would like to acknowledge. One in four. Yeah. And we are both one in four. (laughs) Right. And, you know, I didn't tell the story because I'm proud of it. It happened. I know. That's how I kind of felt. And like, did I, that's what I wonder, like, for me, it was such a big part of my story. I understand that other people, it isn't a huge part of their story. But for me, it was a catalyst for like my mental illness kind of being exposed, like anxiety and depression. So like, I just felt like I was choking every time I was avoiding it. And I just was kind of like, why? And, but like you said, I grew up in California. I'm so used to everyone having the same opinion, everyone being, you know, liberal and all of that. But I wonder, like, because you have this giant platform that is not exclusive to California, what kind of response did you get? And at what point were you in your healing? Were you ready for negative and positive response? I was ready for negative and positive because I I knew that there were so many girls who were facing this decision daily. Yeah. And it's not an easy decision to make. Yeah. And... I I didn't really know the response that I was looking for, but I felt like it was time to talk about it. And for me, like I was very into the person that it happened with. And it was just, I can't even explain like where my head was. It was sheer panic. Like I'm not ready for this. Yeah. And I don't, do I wish that I would have been having safe sex in that moment? Obviously. Right. And, you know, even back in Utah, I surrounded myself with people who were very open-minded and liberal and it's your body and you should make whatever choice, you know, it's your life. Right. And I, I wanted to share it in the book exactly how it happened. Yeah. And even though I knew that I may get negative responses, which by the way, I've had a lot of people reach out to me via direct message. I have yet to see one negative thing about that chapter. I know that the I know that the negative comments and judgment are out there. Yeah. I just haven't seen it yet. Wow. And I prefer it to stay that way. Yes, me too. Let's stay right there. <laughs> yes. Let's stay right there. And I don't regret sharing that chapter at all. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell the story like briefly? Do you mind? No, not at all. I I had had this boyfriend that I was with for quite some time. He lived in LA and, you know, we just had one night. I, I, I used to pride myself. I, I still pride myself. There were moments that I was not safe, but I always say like, go out and do your thing and have fun, but be safe and be smart. I was on the pill and I got, I got pregnant. So things happen. Totally. It happens even when you're trying to be safe, you know? Yes. And so we like have some fun playtime. Mm-hmm. He goes back to LA and it was Super Bowl Sunday. I got obliterated and it was, you know, the Ravens were playing the 49ers. So it was like the battle of even my family. Cause we were all divided. We like 
it was just like the funnest day ever. Beyonce was going to perform for okay. Super Bowl. It was yes. lit AF. Yes. And then I just thought the next day that I was very hungover, but the hangover lasted for like two weeks, uh-huh. right? Yep. So then my mom, she had to pick up my nanny job for a little bit. And she was like, I just don't understand. Like, explain how you're feeling. And I was like, I'm so sick in the morning. She goes, have you, you've started your period, right, Lauren? I was like, there it is. And I had taken a pregnancy test, but it must've been too early to tell, you know, because it was totally negative. So I go home, I take the the other one and right away it says positive. And I have these horrific Kylie Jenner egg blue nails on (laughs) worse than the ones I have on now. They're like, like yeah. And I just came down sobbing to my mom and she was on the phone. I was like, it's positive. She was like, we'll take you to the doctor on Monday. I was like, no, no, no. Planned Parenthood is open. We are going now. I know. Isn't that, you're that feeling. You're like, okay, like I can't bond with this thing anymore. Like get it out. Get it no, out. No, yeah. like something needs to happen in a totally. decision. I, I like, I like things to be remedied immediately. Me too. I can't just it's like, when, it is because <laughs> yeah. you're, you're supposed to sit with things, right? Now. Luckily for me in the state of Utah, they, you have to like go to this meeting mm. before you choose abortion. Interesting. Yes. And they talk you through it, but you know, I really loved the woman that was there because yeah. it was so matter of fact. And at the very end of this meeting, and I was the only person there that day, thank God. She was like, I just want you to know if you decide to have an abortion, we support you. If you choose to have this baby, we still support you. And I was like, that feels so good. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I just started sobbing and she hugged me and said, you're, you're not a bad person. You know that, right? And I just like lost my mind. I'm going to lose it. Yeah. And I kept trying to call my dude and he wouldn't freaking pick up the phone. So after this meeting, you have to allow 72 hours before you like go in and have this happen, Mm -hmm. the procedure. And I was ready. I was like, this, this is the right choice. Can't even get the dude on the phone and I'm going to like have his baby. Right. Not only do I not want to put myself in that situation, but like what a selfish thing for me. This is my own personal thought process back then to bring a baby into this fucked up situation. Yeah. Yeah. I wrote a letter to like the soul or whatever. And I was like, I don't, I can't bring you into a world that like, I'm not familiar with enough myself, you know, Yeah. I just felt so young. I felt like such a baby. Wow. That's really beautiful that you did that. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I just, I felt something, you know, I just felt like, cause there's also the thing that people don't under, like that people don't talk about with abortion and why there's so much misunderstanding is like, there's a biological pull to keep this. Oh my you know? gosh. Beyond. That you have to completely bulldoze to like make this decision to save your own life. Of course. Like it, it haunted me for so long. Yeah. That decision. I know. I know. And even I know. though I knew that I made the right one. I know. I, like, I don't regret, it's a weird thing. You don't regret it, but you, no. the guilt is crazy. The guilt is crazy. And, yeah. and that's just, it's a mind fuck. Mm-hmm. And, and no one in, unless you've been through it. And even every situation is different, you know, Absolutely. my situation compared to someone else's may look very pretty and be, and people may wonder, but why? Yeah. You don't need to know why. No. It's my body. 
-hmm. And this is what I chose for my life. And I would love for you to be able to have the same option. Yes. Every aspect of your life is the choice. Yes. So did you have trouble getting pregnant with Ocean? I did not. Oh, you did not? No, I I had some issues during my pregnancy. During your pregnancy. Yes. I, I, but can I tell you, Jade, that was something that I thought about often. I was like, if I have trouble getting pregnant, let's just say I can't, I will regret my decision and I will beat myself up over it. I think that's everyone's worst fear. Like everyone that's had an abortion. That was my biggest fear. Like even now, like thinking about it, I totally. can't catch my breath. It was my my biggest fear. And, you know, thank God I took my IUD out and within 60 days I was pregnant with Ocean. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Because that is like, you know, people that do have trouble getting pregnant or people that miscarry or whatever, if you have an ectopic, whatever, all those things, the first reaction is to blame yourself and blame the abortion. Because you're just like, I had this chance. God, the universe, whatever, gave me this chance, and I turned it down, and now it's all I want in the world. It's this weird, like, perspective shift we have to have as women. Like, we spend all this time not wanting to get pregnant, and then all of a sudden it's all we want in the world. I know. It's such it's such a crazy thing to experience. And when I was going through that, I kept having to remind myself Remember where you were in that moment when you chose that. Yeah. Because you you wouldn't have the life you have now. Your whole life would look different. Exactly. It's like what we said. It's that weird flavor of grief and, and guilt. And, you know, you can't really place it because you don't regret it. And you know that your no. life would you, – you wouldn't have the life that you have now. I wonder, like, when you had Ocean, did it feel like a complete circle to you? Because I think that's a feeling that I long for again, you know? Actually, it was very, I felt like without making every choice I'd ever made, the abortion, getting sober, moving to LA, every decision I'd ever made in my life, I became so grateful for because without those decisions, I wouldn't have the love of my entire life. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yes. Yes. I mean, this is such a weird question. What is motherhood like? Like as, for someone that's not a mom yet, do you feel like you waited till you were ready or are you never ready? I don't think you're ever ready. Yeah. So you just have to decide, like, just look at your life and say, does a child fit into this right now? Mm-hmm. That's how you, because you can never be like, am I ready to do, like, live for another person? Totally. Because you're never totally. really ready to do that. No, no. Then when it happens, you just fall into it and you're like, I can't imagine living for anybody else but this human. Right. How has it changed you? You know, becoming a mom and experiencing the kind of love, it's so, I was just having this conversation and I'm going to try to like breathe so I don't get emotional about it. I'll try to convey it in a way that is less dramatic. Get emotional. It's always welcome here. Thank you. (laughs) I was just having this conversation with my mom in the kitchen and I was holding ocean and becoming a mom was the most terrifying feeling in the world. And not because you're living for another person, but the love that you experience, you know, you think about, you think about losing people in your life, losing your parents and you're, that's, that's a loss that you're able to handle. You know, I just feel like as human beings, it's just the circle of life, right? Then you have a baby and she's so a part of me 
that I've never felt more vulnerable in my entire life. Thinking if anything happened to this baby, I will not survive. Mm-hmm. So it puts you in like it. And I don't know if everyone thinks this way. I, I tend to like take myself to very strange places. You can't comprehend the love and you try to explain it to somebody. And, and even then you can't do it. It's just in, in that moment, the second that baby comes out of you, mm-hmm. you would take a bullet. You will do everything in your power to never allow them to feel any sort of pain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes you just in awe of your own parents and like totally understand forgive every imperfection and right. because that love is so insane. Oh my gosh. I Now when my mom says, when you moved to LA, I felt like I was suffering a, a loss. Yeah. And now thinking about her in those moments of me, you know, making life changes, I'm like, oh my gosh, how did, how did you let me leave? I know. And it's only something you can understand when you are a mom or a parent. Yes, that's so true. And I I don't care if you choose surrogacy or you choose adoption or you carry your own baby. It doesn't matter. When you know that your baby is coming, you become a different person. Yeah. God. Have you felt more connected to your dad since having Ocean? I think she looks just like my dad. Really? Yeah, maybe because she's oh, bald too. I, <laughs> yeah. But someone said to me, because I was like, I just wish that my dad could be here to meet Ocean and see me be a mom. And they said, your dad met Ocean before you did. Like, it was just like written in the stars. And that brought me comfort. I love that. I fully believe that. I believe that too. Yeah, I love that. Okay, we got to take a quick break and we'll be right back. What was the last thing you were extremely nervous for? Oh, the last thing I was extremely nervous for... <laughs> Do you not I, get nervous? No, I've worked through my my nerves. Nerve. I would say putting Ocean on an airplane with me. I was nervous okay. to do that. Yes, that <laughs> is hard. Getting all the looks from the people. Yes, that's yes. hard. Okay. What's a way in which you're currently working on yourself these days? Uh, continuing to go to my AA meetings mm-hmm. and doing my weekly therapy. Yes. Yes. Therapy. We are big proponents of therapy in this house. So love it. Love therapy. Thank you so, so much. You are a dream. I am such a fan of yours. This was so incredible. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And thanks for letting me get emotional. (laughs) Oh my God. I loved every second of it. Thank you. Bye guys. Thank you. Okay, like I said, I did not want that conversation to end. She is a dream and she's so, I mean, I think she's changed so much even in the pandemic alone and just since becoming a mom, just hearing how self-realized and self-aware and just well-adjusted she is. I mean, I knew I loved her, but she really gave me many more reasons to love her because she was just amazing. I could gush forever, but I will let you guys go. I'll see you back here next week. In the meantime, if you could please rate, review, and follow the podcast, I would be forever grateful. Seriously, if you do it, send me a screenshot so I can thank you properly. It would mean the world to me. So that's the one favor I have to ask you, and I will see you back here next week. Bye.